Before the days of, you know, instant GPS with our phones, how many of you ever took a wrong turn going somewhere and you didn't know it? How far did you drive before you realized, like, I don't think this is right? Who, who, who drove over an hour in here before you realized? Huh? Anyone drive over two hours in here before you realize? And, and then you're like, oh, my, now i got to backtrack. I remember I was picking up uh, with my uh, step-grandfather once, our cousin from an airport, and they lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and we went to Birmingham, Alabama to, to pick her up. And then on the way back, he took a wrong turn. And we drove for over two hours in the wrong direction before he finally was like, I think I took a wrong turn. And we were already tired, and it, it two hours this way, and then four hours back to, you know, from Birmingham. It was, yeah, it was bad. But isn't it funny how things can happen and we don't notice? We don't always notice right when things happen. One time, uh, Jan and I, right after we got married, we were driving. Uh, we, I, I was youth minister at this little bitty church in a, I mean, it's called Halfway, Texas. And it was called Halfway because it was halfway between two different towns. And one of the old farmers and that's like, oh, yeah, you can cut, you know, it's a lot of time off your trip. You just take these back roads. And I believed him. <laughs> and I wound up in a town I wasn't trying to get to before I finally knew where I was. And it basically was the same amount of time from that town to where if I'd have just gone the main route and we're driving. I'm like, I don't know where we're at. <laughs> we're just driving. But sometimes those small turns, and what happened is I took a wrong turn. There was, there was something that happened in there I didn't notice, Janet didn't notice, we didn't know, and we didn't notice it, and we just keep on going. You see, there are major things that can happen, and we just don't notice. We don't know what happened. It just kind of comes and goes, and yet it's going to have a profound influence later on. And that's exactly what the kingdom of God is like in this next parable that Jesus tells us. That there is this small beginning, there's going to be things that are happen that are almost imperceptible, that are so insignificant, they'll, they'll almost just be ignored, and you won't even realize that the kingdom of God has planted a seed that is going to start to grow. And we go through time, and it starts to grow, and things start to change. And sometimes we open our eyes you know, midway, and we think, what's going on? Why? Everything's changing. And it's like God standing back saying, well, I, yeah, I started this a long time ago. You just didn't notice. So I'm glad you caught up. Now let's you know, continue what, what started. And so in Matthew 13, 31 through 33, Jesus says this. It says, He put another parable before them, saying... The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And so, yeah, one of the things that, that Jesus is, is trying to get across, you know, again, we talk about the, the farming uh, idea of planting seeds and soil, and we're going to talk about that again. But really what he's letting us know is that when God works in our lives, it's almost always going to have small beginnings. 
And we don't like that, do we? Like, we want big. We want big. Like, God announce it, you know, trumpets from heaven, light coming down. I am changing your life. You know, we want something big. We want to know right now what's going on. And Jesus says it's not like that. He says it's going to start small. Now, how many in here have ever seen a mustard seed? It's it's tiny. I mean, it's a little bitty. And you look at it and think, could this really turn into something? And, and what does Jesus say? Yeah, you plant it in healthy soil, you let it grow, and it's going to turn into something that is so big that the birds of the air will come and perch on it that, that it's going to turn into a tree. And you look at the beginning and you look at the end and think, how in the world did this turn into this? And yet that is exactly what God is going to do. And so Jesus gives us these two images of, of a tiny seed planted in the ground or a small amount of yeast or leaven sown into a very large amount of flour. And what do you do in both of those instances? You mix it in or you plant it, and then what do you do? You, you kind of ignore it. you got to kind of walk away and let it start to do its thing. Uh, anybody in here ever made sourdough bread? Right? You just got to put that yeast in, and then what? You got to leave it. Then you got to come back and do what? Mix it in again. And what? Walk away. Leave it. See, you have to allow a process to continue to work itself over and over and over so that it starts to produce results. But it's not something we can force, and it's, and it's certainly going to start at a level that we're going to basically want to discount it. We're, we're going to look at it, and we're going to be unimpressed, we're going to be confused as to how this process is really going to produce the end that, that we have in mind or, or what we think is going to happen, and yet we have to trust the process to work. And so Jesus tells us it, it, this, this parable that sometimes we, I think we think it's a little too simple, and it's like, oh yeah, the mustard seed, and it turns into the largest thing, you know, the, the largest plant in the garden, and, and all of this, and, and we think it's a, a nice thought, but when we really dig into this parable, we start to get this idea of, wait a minute, Jesus is telling us that this process isn't going to be what we think it's going to be. The start of the process isn't going to look like we want it to look, and it's going to finish in a way that is so much bigger than any of us can imagine, the only analogy is to go from this tiny seed to this huge tree. Did you know that's what God is doing in your life right now? He is planting seeds of faith. He is planting seeds of truth that are going to produce something far bigger than what you thought it was when you started. It's going to produce something far beyond anything that you imagine. And so what we have to do now is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 7. And the Apostle Paul says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by sight. You see, that's exactly what he's telling us with the mustard seed and the leaven is that there is a process that is going to go on that we aren't going to be able to, to fully see. And we aren't going to be able to understand it. 
You got to put the seed in the ground and then you got to let it do its thing. You got to watch. You got to trust that it's going to happen. The, the yeast you put into the flour or the dough, you have to put it in there and walk away and let it work. But you start the process trusting the end result will happen. And so this idea of Paul where he says, for we walk by faith and not by sight means the reality of what God is doing in your life and in my life will not match up to what we see. Now let me say that again. The reality of what God is doing in your life will not match up with what you see immediately. What we see before us is going to be the broken world, the weeds, as we talked about last week. We're going to see our own struggle. We're going to see the sin that's in our own heart. And yet, what God is doing is He is growing His kingdom to a point that one day we will be in heaven where there will be no sin, where there will be no death, there will be no struggle anymore. And it is all moving in that direction. And we're not going to just pick it up and understand how this process works. We're not going to see it. But what Jesus is telling us is trust that it's going to happen. If you didn't know what a mustard seed was and somebody told you, plant that in the ground and in a number of years you're going to have a tree, many of us probably wouldn't believe that little thing. No. And yet, Jesus tells us that's exactly how the kingdom of God works. There are going to be small beginnings in our lives. God's going to do small things that are going to pay big dividends down the road. And so this is why we, we meet. This is why we, you know, we worship. This is why we stay in God's Word because we're constantly looking to God to plant seeds, to work in our lives in new ways, to start something new that while we don't recognize it in the moment, we trust God's going to produce something large later on. And so as we walk by faith, Paul is telling us that we make decisions based upon the truth of God's Word not based upon what we see or hear or feel to be true that is contrary to God's Word. You see, when when God's Word tells us something is true, and then our own eyes tell us it's not true, which one is wrong? We're wrong. Our own eyes. Our own mind, our own eyes, our own senses will lie to us and tell us that the Word of God cannot be trusted. And, and, and Jesus is telling us in this, this parable that we cannot base our lives off what we feel or think or see to be true in a moment because God often starts tremendous works in such small, imperceptible ways that we won't even know that it happened. And yet God is working like that all the time, over and over. He is working in our lives so that we can look back on our lives and realize something major happened. A shift started. How many of you have ever been hiking you know, in the mountains or somewhere and you're going up the trail and there's brush and there's trees and you're just walking on this trail and you're walking and you're climbing and you're going and then suddenly you hit a point where there's an opening and you turn around and what do you see? Wow, I've gone a long way. 
But you didn't realize it while it was happening because you looked at the trail, you were experiencing life in the moment right now, and then every now and then you get that clearing and you see the view and you're like, wow, look, you know, I started down there where you can even maybe sometimes see the starting point. And you stop and look, and now you look, and you're like, but I've still got a long way to go. That is our Christian lives. And the process is just going to repeat itself over and over and over. And so that means we live now, believing that good things from God are coming even when we can't see it. Even when we don't know how it can work out, we believe Because we walk by faith and not by sight, we believe good things. God is going to give good things to His people. He is going to cause good things to happen for us and in us. Now, when I say good things, don't get that confused with the world's ideas of good things. Because we sometimes get that mixed up and then we get very disappointed with God when really the good things He's telling us He's going to do is what? He's going to make us more holy. He's going to, to, to cleanse us of sin. He's going to repair the broken parts of us. He's going to glorify Himself in our lives. And trust me, there's nothing better that you want in your life than for God to glorify Himself through you. But the world tells us, and too many false teachings today in America say the same thing, that, oh, the good things are you're never going to struggle. You're going to be rich beyond your wildest dreams. God wants you to have everything you've ever wanted. And that's just not true. Jesus told us, He says, in this life you will have persecutions and tribulations, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You see, the struggle is always going to be real and it's always going to be there, but that doesn't mean that nothing's happening. And so we have to learn to develop eyes to see and ears to hear for the eternal truths that God is producing in our heart and our lives. For the eternal truths that God is planting and bringing to bear fruit in our lives. Did you know that Billy Graham, towards the end of his life, said that, you know, other than the the major issues of Christianity, which he never changed his mind on, but he says, I've changed my mind on just about every secondary doctrine there is. Which means he'd studied Scripture, and in one place he was here, and then as he got older, he thought about it again and thought, well, I don't know. You see, time has a way of changing things, doesn't it? Now, is that just that time changes and we just change, or is it that God starts something way back here in our lives, and as we go through life, He continues to make it grow, and we become different people as we get older? And we didn't even realize He was planting that seed back when we were younger. And so what is it that we need to do with this? If if God is going to start big things in our lives with very, very small beginnings. You know, if if you want a mustard seed to grow, there are steps you're going to have to take, right? If you want leaven to really work in in dough, there are things you have to do to to aid the process. Well, farmers, gardeners, I want to ask, what is needed for healthy growth of a plant? Good dirt, good soil. What else? Water, sunlight, and what else? There's one more. Yeah, it's got to to get some food, but it also needs space to grow. 
How many of you start your garden plants indoors in, in the little, you know, the little cups and then transplant them outside? Anybody do that? Okay, see, we did that in Washington because we had to because it was cold. So now my illustration's ruined. <laughs> but it's okay, I'm going to still use it. Now, Jana would start her plants indoors, and she would plant the seed in a, in a small cup, and it would start to grow. But you couldn't leave it in that cup very long because the roots needed room to be able to grow. Now, I want you to think of this. We would all look at the size of a mustard seed and say, oh, I could plant that anywhere and it'll grow. Well, yeah, it'll grow. But what's it going to need very soon based on the imagery that we have of it's going to go from the smallest of seeds to a tree? What's it going to need? It's going to need lots of space. It's going to need room to grow. And this is one of the sayings that I've used in ministry a ton, and I found it, it just, it's something that God told me, and it's something that works. And that is, give God room to work in your life. You gotta give Him room. If we have an idea of, look, it's gonna go like this, and here's step one, here's two, here's three, and it's gonna work like this, guess what? God isn't gonna work according to your schedule and your plan. He's going to do it His way. And so, yeah, the, the, the first step in growing a, a good seed, uh, growing a seed is that you need good soil. Now, we've already talked about this a couple weeks ago in the scattering of the seeds, and, and Jesus is using this imagery over and over because He's driving this point home. He wants us to know it. And, and so, yeah, we need good soil. What is soil? That is the condition of our hearts. That is the condition of our hearts. That is the condition of our minds. That is where God is planting His seeds of truth. In James 1.21, it says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. Now, what is meekness? That is not weakness. It is power under control. It is discipline. It is controlled action. Receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. See, James tells us a couple of things here, and one of them is he says, take away the things that are going to hinder growth. Just remove them. And he means it when he uses these words, and he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. He's looking at the world around, and he's telling his people, you can't be like them. Don't act like them. Don't think like them. You focus on the Word. Focus there. Why? Because it's able to save your souls. Notice he didn't say, oh, just because it, you know, it's a good thing to do it. He, he goes to a life or death situation right here and says, this is why, because it's able to save you. It's able to save which means bringing of life, protecting of life. And so yes, we have to be willing to go through the process of removing all wickedness from our lives as best we can. And I call this cooperating with grace. Okay, we can't force a seed to grow. We, God is going to grow the seed of truth in our lives. That's His work. We can't make it happen. But we can cooperate with that work by removing the weeds in the wickedness that will choke that, that seed out. 
and it's up to us to do so. This is on us. It's kind of like the, you know, sometimes God, you know, God, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin, and God's like, then don't. That's on you. I'm not going to force you to not do something. I'm not going to take control of your life from you. That's just not how God has chosen to do it. And so we have the imperative here where he says, you put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. That is that cooperation with grace. Meekness. Power under control. The implanted Word. And so as we we talked about the parable of the seeds, we've got to remove this stuff. And, And I think our heart has to get to a place just like David's in the Psalms. In Psalm 139, 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I know this is going to be a tough question, but have you ever been wrong and you didn't know you were wrong? How many of us enjoyed admitting that later? Right? We, we, we don't, do we? I mean, when, when you, I'm not talking you just made a little mistake, but like you were maybe emphatic on something. It's like, yeah, and, and then somebody comes along and they're like, um, you know you're wrong. Now, no, I'm not, and they explain it, and you're like, oh, I'm wrong. <laughs> And I wasn't just a little wrong, like I was wrong. And then you got to go do what you have to do and humble yourself and like, I, I, I was wrong. And you have to admit it and you got to fix everything. You know, that's the attitude we've got to take with God every single day. That's what David is saying right here. Search me, O God, and know my heart. This could be a positive or a negative in our life, okay? And now it's always a positive when God's rooting out sin, but, but this could either be a blessing or a struggled blessing, okay? This could be one of those things that we're like, ooh, this was harder than I thought it would be. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. He's saying, God, you dig in there and you find what's there. You know why? Because we're not able to do that. Not honestly. In Jeremiah, he says, above all, the heart is desperately sick. And deceptive. It's deceptive. We'll lie to ourselves about how awesome we are. You know, we're all the hero of our own story, right? And so we have to develop this idea of, look, it's my job before God to remove the wickedness, to remove the sin so that the truth can grow. That's just step one, though, is is creating good soil. Step two, water and light. Like you put a seed in the ground, it'll start growing, but it's not going to live for long if it doesn't get some water, right? It needs it. It needs that food. It needs the fertilizer. It needs nourishment in order to live. Well, where do we get our nourishment from? Someone say it. I know you know it. Right here. This is where we get our nourishment. But not only from here. We also get it from each other in fellowship. We get it from singing worship, singing praises to God, and participating in corporate worship. You see, when people say that they don't need church in order to worship God, I say, no, you're right. You can worship God on your own, but you can't worship God as well as you could with other people. 
We are called to be together. But listen, Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. If we are going to, to water our faith, if we're going to, to mix that leaven in that God puts there so that it has full effect in our lives, we must become students of the Word of God. And, and when I say students... I don't mean casually passing by a scripture every day, one or two minutes, or, or, you know, it, spending just a little bit of time. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I love that scripture. I mean, we learn it. Did you know in Paul's day in the early church, when a new convert came into the church, they got the equivalent in discipleship of a seminary education? And that was for every believer across the board. You came to know Christ and the church took it seriously and said, okay, now you have to learn. You have to get grounded because you live in a wicked, evil world that is going to attack your faith constantly and you must get grounded in the truth. And that discipleship process generally took about three years. Three years of just intensely studying the Word of God and learning about Christ and learning what it means to follow Him. And so that's why Paul tells us, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. You want your faith to grow? you got to be in the Word. That, that, that's all there is to it. There is no other way. We must water our soul with the Word of truth. And so I'm not knocking. I mean, it, you know, all of us has useless knowledge. Right? I mean, how many sports fans we got in here, right? Hey, you know, we can just quote those stats like crazy, right, man? We, we, we know it. That's important stuff, right? And, and ladies, you, you know, what do you know? <laughs> you know everything. That's what I mean. It's like, we know sports. You all fill in the rest of it. I mean, that, that's like, you know all the rest of it. Okay? That really is what I meant. That wasn't a save. <laughs> we know sports. Y'all know pretty much all the rest of it. But how much of that are we going to take with us after we're gone? One second when we enter into eternity, how much of that stuff is going to matter anymore? Because it's going to be gone. It will be gone. Gone forever. And so what we spend our time truly filling our heart and mind with matters or it doesn't matter. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and find out that I completely spent all of my time filling my life with things that the instant I stepped into eternity, it's like, uh, into eternity hey, it doesn't matter. Because the truth that I learn now from Scripture guess what? It's going to matter then too. You see, truth doesn't change. And so if you want your faith to grow, and I mean grow from a mustard seed into the tree that he's talking about, we have to water it. We have to grow. And then step three is that it needs space to grow. It needs room. I already talked on this, touched on this a little bit, but I want you to listen to Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do not neglect to meet together. Something has happened in American Christianity, and I mean this, in which we have, we know it's important, but we've kind of lost it as a pillar of the faith, and that is the gathering together of the saints. We need each other in order to follow Christ effectively. And I mean that. You can watch online all you want, and if you're watching online right now, I'm glad you are. Please continue to do so. But eventually, you need people. You have to be with other Christians in order to grow. You know why? Because none of us can make ourselves grow. And it's not just about getting the information. It's about worship. It's about fellowship. It's about spurring one another forward in our faith. It's about loving each other and caring for each other and and genuinely praying for each other's faith. When was the last time you prayed that God would increase somebody else's faith? Now, I I say that because it's, like I said, we've kind of lost something. And, and true Christianity is not just about me and my relationship to God. True Christianity is about me, my relationship to, to, to God, and my relationship to my neighbor. Because the two greatest commandments are what? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. We have to have the space to grow, and we have to create that space by doing life together as Christians. And we cannot neglect that. We can't neglect it. We can't ignore it. We can't downplay it as as not important. I'm telling you, it is of vital importance. The church and the congregation you attach yourself to will determine a lot of how you are going to grow. And it's our responsibility to do so. That's what he says, and let us consider. He's saying, think about it. Think, how do you stir up other people to love and good works? Do you give good, you know, powerful thought in your life to stirring up other people to love and to do good works in life? How do you do that? This is a command that we have. And then he says, as we do that, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. We must be together. Church is important. And, and I've, I've had people tell me all the time, well, I don't know, I, you know, I just don't like organized religion. Okay. Well, do you want it disorganized? I, 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 I really, I've not understood that statement most of the time other than it's just a fast and cheap, easy way to say, I don't like church, but not say the words, I don't like church. Because all religion is, is the organized group practice of faith. And we're called to do it. And so can religion be dead? Yeah, we we can have dead religion. We can have religion that misses the point and, and is no longer focused on the Word and isn't focused on the love of God and the love of neighbor. We can definitely do that. But bad use does not negate the truth. The weeds do not negate the true plant. 
And church is absolutely, the meeting and the congregating of the saints is absolutely necessary to our faith. You see, if it was just about getting the information, and I mean this, if it was just about learning Scripture and that's it, then we should be in the golden era of the church right now. Because we have more materials. We have more information. I have a program right now on this iPad in which I have access to over 30,000 Christian books. No, I've not read them all. But if access to information and, and just learning information was the key, then right now we should be having revival in this land like crazy. And guess what? We're not. And you know why? Because we've relegated it to just getting information. And we've forgotten the mystery of singing praises to God corporately. We've lost the, the, the idea of praying for one another's faith, that God would strengthen their faith. We spend more time praying that God would make their life easy rather than praying that God would strengthen their faith to deal with the challenges of life. And that's what He calls us to do. You know what I find remarkably absent from Paul's letters is him praying for a change of situation. The man was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was stoned. You'd think at one point he would be like, you know what, if y'all could pray that the mission field would be a little easier, I'd appreciate it. You never see that. What does he say? He says, pray that my faith doesn't fail. Pray that I'm bold as I ought to be. Pray for the brothers that they would be unified. See, he's praying for their faith. And we have to recapture that idea of the mystery of the faith that we share together that God is going to do something amazing. Because he's told us that's exactly what it's going to be. Okay, those are the results of this. Those are the results. He says it's going to start small. It's going to be almost imperceptible. It's going to be something you're going to dismiss, but it's going to turn into something that cannot be ignored. It's going to turn into something big. That is His promise. Do you come to church expecting that? Not that every Sunday is you know revival, but some Sunday should be, right? Do we come to church expecting God to show up and do something awesome? And if it doesn't happen this week, well then do we, okay, what's well, coming though? I know it is. God's going to do something. Do we have that expectation in life? And do we clear the road and pull the weeds in preparation for it? Because God has yet to fail to do what He said He's going to do. So if we don't get the results, who is it that failed? It's us. Now, I don't say that in, in, in a condemning way, but in, you know, if a farmer consistently has failed crops, you got to start looking at maybe something's going on here. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. And so if, if we in our own spiritual lives consistently come up against what we would call a failure, like it's just not breaking through, we're just not moving forward, things just aren't happening we got to start looking and say, you know what? I know God's Word is true. I know His power is there. God will fulfill every promise He's ever said, so maybe I'm the one that needs to change something. Maybe I've got some weeds that I need to pull. Maybe I'm not planting enough seeds of truth. Maybe it's growing. I'm just not planting enough of them. Because the results 
are guaranteed. You see, and, and here's the great thing about this, is when we get results, there is a natural benefit for society and the world around us. Other people benefit from our spiritual growth. You remember when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth? You are the light of the world? That's what he's saying, is that as you grow, it's going to benefit those around you. Even the unbelievers around you are going to benefit from your spiritual health. And that's what he says. He says, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make its nest on its branches. What starts out and looks as something that could be useless ends up serving a purpose that's even bigger than just the plant itself. Now, tr- now birds are using it. Now other people are benefiting from its existence. Now I'm going to tell you this, this church has been here a very, very long time, right? Amen. I love that. I love that it has been here over 150 years. I want it to be here another 150 years. Because this church being healthy in this community serves a purpose to this community. And this community benefits from it. But it's up to us to make sure it's healthy. That's our responsibility. That's on us. We have to do that. And so society, culture, and the world benefits from a healthy, growing church. And how do we also know when we're getting results? This is, this is true. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know you're getting results from the kingdom of God when righteousness and peace and joy start to become a part of your life. We got an angry world right now. And I mean angry. Don't you think that a a church that is at peace and has joy would be quite attractive to, to people that aren't experiencing that? Let me tell you something, the world's always been angry. Okay, ever since Cain killed Abel, the world has been angry. And yet the people of God are the ones who are the salt and the light in this world that bring peace and joy and show what righteousness is and say, look, this is what life is and we bring that into the world and those are the results that matter. And so we've got to kind of get this out of our head that results mean I'll never struggle and I'll be perfect and I'll have everything figured out. What did he say? He said the kingdom is not, that's not what it's about. What's it about? Righteousness, peace, and joy. That says nothing about having all the answers figured out. That says nothing about never struggling. It says nothing about not having hard times or difficulties. It's nothing like that. And so we know it's working when this happens. And I want to leave you with just a couple of scriptures that will help. First John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
The fact that you can maintain the Christian faith in this world, in the midst of all of this chaos, John says, is enough proof that your faith is real. Now, isn't that wonderful? I mean, that should, there's, there's some of you in here that when you understand that, you're going to let out a sigh of relief. Because in your mind, you think that you've got to fix everything and everyone. And that the Christian faith should, you know, it's just going to grow and it's just going to always, in one day, everybody will be saved. And you know what? John says, you know what? The fact that you can believe, that's enough. You don't have to save the world. Let God worry about that. That's His work. Yours is to simply follow Him. And remember your calling. Remember who you are in Christ. That's it. And so in God's kingdom, the unimpressive becomes a force that moves mountains. I want you to remember that. In God's kingdom, the unimpressive becomes a force that moves mountains. Don't discount anything that God does in your life. Don't ever discount the Word of God. And don't ever discount your faith as weak. If you still believe, you've overcome the world. You've already won. And so the small beginnings of what God does live each day with the knowledge that He's turning it into something great. And one day we will see it all, and it will be glorious.